Proverbs 4.23 Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. I want to talk to you tonight about priorities. You can be seated. The last day of last year, I spoke on living in light of eternity. Last Wednesday, I spoke on growing into your potential. I spoke a lot about processes, about engaging in a process that leads to growth and focused a lot on the passage of Scripture. We talked about Israel taking the land of Canaan little by little. The Lord said, I will not give it to you in one year, but as you increase, the land will increase. As you're able to take more, I will give you more. And I believe it is true in our lives that God gives us more spiritual territory as we grow into it. And it's more important to be in a process, to be headed in the right direction and moving forward than it is to say you're at a certain place. If you're digressing, if your status is static, you're not moving, then that's, that's a problem. But if you're just making incremental growth, I know Chuck Swindoll wrote a book, you know, two steps forward or three steps forward, two steps back. Sometimes that's how it feels. You make a little progress and lose a little ground, but we're all trying to grow in the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Now, I want to just make a couple of preliminary statements about priorities because some people blame uh, things on their personality. There's a difference between a personality and a principle. If the Bible tells us about the fruit of the Spirit, then we can't blame our personality or our upbringing on not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And some people just kind of live wherever the wind blows and uh, they're like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. James used that illustration. And they say, well, I'm just not organized. It's hard for me to live by priorities. And we all have personalities and our personalities affect how we function. But regardless of your nature, you can be nurtured into knowing what is most important in life and pursuing the things that are best for you eternally. So some things are based on principles, and we should employ them in our lives, we should apply them to our lives, even though it may be more difficult for some of us than others. In other words, we don't get a buy. We don't get a pass for not being a Christian and for not doing the things that matter most for eternity. Throughout the last 22 years, I have referred to a book called Ordering Your Private World. Someone told me they just purchased it recently and were reading it. I was 30 years old when I read Ordering Your Private World. And at the beginning of the book, there's a lot said about Proverbs 423, keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. There's a lot of things I learned in that book. I learned to avoid the sinkhole syndrome by maintaining a strong inner world. I learned that when the pressure on the outside is getting to me, it's not because of all the pressure generally. You know, sometimes there's more pressure than others, but usually it's a lack of inner strength from my devotion to God. But I learned a couple things that really helped me. Is that if I'm going to have a healthy outer world in my work, in my relationships, 
that I need to maintain a healthy inner world. It needs to be the highest priority of my life. And then I also learned that life tends toward disorder. And again, some of these things you've heard me say often here and again, and I'll say them a lot more if I get to live long enough to do that, uh, that life doesn't stay the same. Your dresser, your house, your car, your clothes, your hair. You know, life tends toward disorder, uh, toward atrophy. So you have to constantly press order into the disorder of your life. So, you know, I jokingly say that I'm a recovering perfectionist. And most people that know me really well do not think I'm recovering at all. I'm sorry to say. But as a person who's trying to not let perfectionism rule me, it, it kind of makes me relax a little bit to know that disorder is going to come into my life. It's not okay for there to be disorder, but I don't have to feel like I'm lost, you know, separated from God forever because I didn't have my life perfectly in order. But I, I have to catch myself and then press order back into the disorder of my life. I have to arrest myself. I have to have some accountability structurally and personally so that I see myself in the mirror and don't just live a, a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, a lifetime, and know that what went toward disorder just continued and I never wrestled myself back into the discipline of a child of God. The Apostle Paul said, I keep under my body. He knew that the nature of his flesh and all of our flesh, our sinful nature and our just our basic human nature is to get out of order, to get messed up, to tend towards sin, and we need to pull ourselves back, rein ourselves in, and press order into the disorder of our lives. So I don't want you to think tonight I'm raising the bar so high that you can never reach it. And that if you don't reach perfection by next week, as I talked about a lot last week, that you're a total failure. But if you give up growing before you die, you've already died. You should never reach a place in your life, whatever your age, wherever you think you are spiritually. In fact, if you think you've spiritually arrived, you're dreadfully deceived. That's a dangerous person. Kind of feels like, you know, like the Pharisee who prays to God and looks across the prayer room, the temple, and sees that man who's really repenting and says to the Lord, I thank God I'm not like other men. Like that, you know, this is a paraphrase, that loser over there. That attitude doesn't go very far with God. It's called self-righteousness. And it's rooted in self-deception. So we're never going to eliminate pressures but we can learn to live by priorities. And I've observed in the lives of people that some people are always responding to external pressures. Peer pressure, time pressure, urgency pressure. They're always reacting to pressures instead of living by priorities. So you're not going to eliminate pressures, but you can decide that you're going to try to rise above just reacting to everything that happens to you to be proactive and to live by priorities. The key is to know what is most important. So what is a priority? A priority is something that is more important than other things. Isn't that deep? 
You didn't know it was going to get that deep tonight, right? A priority is something that's more important than something else. And because it's more important than something else, it needs to be placed first, done first, or dealt with first. And not in my notes, I didn't mean to go here, but when the Bible said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and then the commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods. What's the next word? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus Christ has preeminence, Colossians 1 says. So He is to be the priority of our lives. And anything or anyone else that takes priority or precedence over the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our, Lord, in our lives, that becomes an idol. Whether it is blatantly sinful or not, if it is before Him, then you've made it a priority over Him and it has supplanted Him and displaced Him as the Lord of your life. A priority is something that is more important than other things and that needs to be done or dealt with first. It's dealt with or recognized as more important because it, it really is more important. And back to my message, 1231 last year, we ended last year, in the light of eternity. The way we know that something is more important than something else, if you really want to get right down to it, is does this matter for eternity, or does it not? Several years ago, I preached a message here called Acceptable Losses. Paul said, I have suffered the loss of all things to win Jesus Christ, and he said, I count them but dung or rubbish. I count them as nothing that I may win Christ. I gave up my pedigree. I gave up my Jewish religion, my prominence. He may have been a member of the Sanhedrin because he speaks about casting a vote against, you know, people that were put to death. He was an important person, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. But he said, everything that I gave up to win Jesus Christ and ultimately eternal life, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, he would say later, I count that as just dumb King James says, or rubbish, other translations said. They are acceptable losses. Did you lose? Yeah, I lost. Did it matter? It mattered in time. Did it matter for eternity? No. Then it didn't really matter at all. So, you know, I was thinking about priorities, and everyone has priorities. They're not all the same. We don't all establish them the same way. I've heard some people say that when you go out to eat, you should always eat dessert first. Because life is so uncertain. You never know if you're going to make it through a whole meal. So their priority is to eat dessert first. If you go to the grocery store, there usually is a line, right? And it's first come, first served. And I don't think you're going to get by. You know, you may have three items and the person in front of you has 30 and you may be bold enough to ask if you could go in front of them. But I've never heard anybody say, hey, you know, my groceries are more important than yours, so can I get in front of you? That's not the way that line works. The priority is first come, first serve. But if you go to the emergency room with a broken toe, you may be in the ER waiting room for a long time. 
because they don't work by that same priority system. They work by triage. The most urgent needs get dealt with first. And if somebody's wheeled in on a stretcher and they're bleeding or they have chest pains and they suspect a heart attack, they're going to wheel right past you and they might even hit your broken toe on the way in. <laughs> Hopefully not. They're going to deal with that person first because that's a priority. The people in our world have a value system. Remember last week, every decision we make is based on a value and all the way back to the 31st of December. But our values are different. The world may have a value system that says something like first come, first served. We may have a value system as a Christian that says we don't go by that. We go by what is really most important. Our value system is based on the Bible, the Word of God, that doesn't ever change. And it works in every culture, in every generation. It works all over the world in every period of time because it's the eternal Word of God that never changes. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. So we live either by pressures or by priorities. As Christians, we live by a higher code of conduct, eternal values, and so we see things differently. I say all that to just kind of establish the idea of what is most important, priorities. Now, we learn a lot of things from people who may be Christian but not apostolic, or maybe you just have good ideas or may not even be a Christian, but we always hold those ideas up to the Bible, the Word of God, to make sure that those concepts are sound. There's a man who's now passed away, had a biking accident actually, Stephen Covey, and he wrote a number of books. He's a guru of time management and leadership. Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. As a pastoral staff, we read this book together in 2014. He said, and some of you have read this book, your businesses have asked you to. You might have attended classes on the seven habits or uh, first things first. But they, they go like this. Habit one, be proactive. And I'm not really going to teach on this, but I'm getting to one particular habit that I want to deal with tonight. But I thought it would be good to run these by you, and you can look into it later. Habit two is you begin with the end in mind. I like that because it's living in light of eternity. One time we were on a rafting trip on the Chattooga River and our guide Scott was going to tell us how to run a rapid. I said, Scott, how do you know how to run a rapid? And Scott said, the first thing you do is get on the shore and go to see where you want to come out. And when you decide where you want to come out, you work your way back to the beginning of the rapid and that's where you start. There's a lot of places you can enter the rapid, but it's a dead end. So you always begin with the end in mind. That's habit number two. Habit number three I'll talk about more tonight, and that is first things first. Habit four is think win-win in relationships. It's not I win, you lose. But the best, most healthy relationships are when it's good for you, mutually beneficial, good for you and good for me. It is win-win. It's healthier. Habit five is a wonderful relational tool, is seek first to understand, then to be understood. We want everybody to understand us, and we think that they're the problem because they don't understand us, and he turns it around and it makes good sense. Habit six is to synergize, combine the strength of others in teams so you get the best out of everyone and you work together. That's a great habit. 
and habit seven is sharpen the saw. You can cut more wood faster if you take the time, if you take the time to sharpen the saw. So you have to renew your resources. That's what Sabbath and rest and reading and prayer and study is all about, to renew your resources so you can go out there and fight the good fight of faith. Good book. You need to read it. Habit three is first things first. Put first things first. Now, I've already talked about priorities, and you get that. Stephen Covey talks about four quadrants of life. He said there are some things that are both urgent and important. They're urgent and important. You're having chest pain, so you go to the emergency room. Urgent, important. Um, You've sinned, repent. Is both urgent and important. Quadrant one. Quadrant two are those things that are not urgent, but they're really, really important. And he said that, you know, people who pay attention to quadrant two, spend more time there, are more productive and successful people. They're not so troubled by the urgent things. That's like going to the doctor to get a checkup when you're not in any pain at all. It's important, but it's not urgent because you're not feeling any pain now. It's like I was talking to a couple of young ladies before church tonight about school. And I said, you know, school, the thing about school lasts so long, so many hours a day and all year long, it's kind of boring, but it adds up. And if you pay attention every day, it adds up to a lifetime of success. doesn't feel urgent, but it's very important. Things like prayer and Bible reading, time with the important people that are in your life, these things that tend to elude us are not urgent, they're not ringing our phone or banging on our door, but in the long run, they'll come back to hurt us if we don't address the, the important but not urgent things in our life. If we don't tend to them, they patiently wait and create mayhem later in your life when you ignore them. Then there's quadrant three, that's urgent but not important. And a lot of people spend a lot of time, that's the pressure stuff I was talking about. Not a priority, but it's that, you know, it's that notification on your phone. It's that urge to check social media during Bible study on Wednesday night. The word of knowledge is at work right now. Now that's the gift of suspicion at work right now. You know, you just got to order that item tonight. You got to do it now. Infringing on someone else's time because it just hit you, but you could have done it tomorrow. You could have planned it, but you're impulsive, and so in a you know lack of planning on your part created an emergency on their part. All of those things are urgent, but they're not important at all. And then there are the things quadrant four. He said they're not urgent and they are not important. And in fact, if you didn't ever go to quadrant four, you'd probably be all right. Now, I'm not talking about true rest and a good vacation and some healthy, wholesome entertainment. But, you know, a lot of things people do, and I'm not trying to get on a tangent here tonight, but excessive social media, most entertainment that is, you know, basically a moral wasteland. Uh, You shouldn't live much, if any, of your life in quadrant four. But, again, quadrant four is not spending time with your family. I don't mean that is important. Uh, It may not be urgent. But quadrant four, you don't need to be there. Highly effective people spend a lot of time doing the things that are priorities, but they're not pressing. 
it's like investing. I'm not a great investor. That's not what I do for a living. But I do invest. I invest in people. I invest heavily in eternity because I think it matters most to me and it's going to matter most in the end. So I'm not trying to sound like such a great, perfect saint here, but, but I know what matters. And since I was about 18, I have been captivated by what matters most. And I've tried to spend my life investing in what matters most. When you think about priorities, you spend your time doing the things that is going to really produce the most result and reward in time, but mostly in eternity. Stephen Covey said the key to effectiveness is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. In other words, don't just look at this long list of things that just got brought to you, but look at what's most important to you. And make sure you make time for the things that are most important. I can promise you I've done it both ways. And I've had a lot of days when I look back and ask myself, what in the world did you get done today? But if you got the most important things done, then all the other things that were less important may really not matter at all. So you have to decide what's most important and when do you schedule them are you just aimlessly drifting along? I want to let my life be driven by the nature of God and what is most important for Him. The things that matter most matter for eternity. And just like good financial investing, you know, time spent on true priorities pays great dividends. Spiritually, personal growth, relationally, and financially. And, and so I want to share with you tonight... Uh, my top five, four, my top four priorities in life. I'll try to go through them kind of quickly. I want to be aware our parents need to go back about 845 to the crowd room. Uh, that allots me a lot of time to do this. And as usual, I have more notes than time. But you, you first heard me say this in 1995. I've been trying to live by this since I was 30. I probably knew it before then, but ordering your private world, 30 years of age, some serious time with God, when I was overwhelmed with a lot of responsibilities, uh, the administrator of a Bible college, the assistant pastor of a church, involved in the organization, teaching a heavy Bible college load, managing an $833,000 budget in 1985. I didn't know anything about budgeting. And 55 employees and a Christian school to boot. And I was in over my head. I can promise you. And that sounds like I'm really telling you what great responsibility I had. All I can tell you is I was totally overwhelmed. And I did not have a handle on it. I didn't have a grip on it. It was affecting me. I was sleep deprived, stressed out. My wife noticed it in me, and so I just ran across some tapes and this book, and it pointed me back to the Bible, and it helped me just try to stop. And I haven't mastered it, but ever since then, I've been trying to press order into the crazy chaos of my life. And I want to encourage you to try to do the same. My first priority is based on Proverbs 4.23. 
But as a pastor, the words of Paul to Timothy, when Paul said, take heed, take heed unto thyself. Paul told this young preacher, the number one priority for you, Timothy, is to worry about yourself. And then the doctrine that you're going to preach, the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear you. What good would it be if I preach to others, but I myself become a castaway? That's what Paul said. So the number one priority of my life is to be saved. And for me to be saved, I don't get any bonuses because I'm a licensed minister with the United Pentecostal Church or a pastor. To be saved requires the same disciplines as every one of us to walk with God. I heard T.W. Barnes say years ago, a wonderful pioneer, not pioneer, but a great man of God. He said, many men have failed God working for God. But no man has ever failed God walking with God. So that sounds to me like it is the most important thing in your life. I think I said this last night at our volunteer meeting, but J.T. Pugh said, it's, it's good if a preacher can also be a Christian. I have learned. And J.T. Pugh preached a message to preachers called anointed but not blessed. I don't understand it, but I know it's true. And John 15 <clears throat> taught me a lesson about this, that the anointing seems to abide long after the favor, the blessing of being right with God departs. And I don't understand it. I think I will be too awed by the deity of God to ask Him about this when I get to heaven. But I've asked Him a few times now in my life. So I realize that God will anoint you and you think that everything's okay when it's not okay. That's why I say the very same thing. That if you come to church, you feel the Spirit of the Lord, you respond to the Spirit and you speak in tongues, don't take that as God's seal of approval that you're living obedience to Him. If you're violating this Bible, you can yield to the Spirit and speak in tongues for two hours, but if you walk out disobedient to this book, you need to repent of your sins and get right with God. I don't understand how that happens, but I just know it does. God is merciful and good. And the Holy Ghost moving on you is like the goodness of God leading you to repentance, drawing you back into a relationship. But if you think because you're speaking in tongues and sinning at the same time, you need to go back and listen to a several-year-old sermon of mine called Miscalculated Mercy. Because our God is a consuming fire. And He will consume the unrepentant in judgment. Taking too much time about that. But Proverbs 4.23, okay? This is it. Keep, keep your heart. And I'm not talking about this pink pump right here. I'm talking about now your entire inner world. And I'm not just referring, you can try to define the soul as the mind, will, and emotions or the combination of the soul and spirit 
which the Bible said the word of God, Hebrews 4 and 12, is sharp enough to divide asunder the soul from the spirit. But when I say keep your heart, and it's implied here in Proverbs 4.23, and back a long time ago and since then, I've spent a lot of time in this verse because it's a key verse in my life. Your inner world is important. And Solomon said that out of it are the issues of life. Other translations say it is the wellspring of life. So if you can imagine, we live, I live, and this church is in Lithia Springs, right? So that spring, there's a source that comes from underground. And it bubbles up. It's like the well of living water springing up into everlasting life. It's like rivers of living water Jesus talked about. That's what spiritual life is like. It comes from a source that we didn't create. It flows in us, out of us, through us. And Solomon said, keep your inner world. You've got to guard your heart with the guard. Some commentaries say. It's like a double guard. Set a sentinel at your heart. Above everything that you protect, protect your inner world. Protect your walk with God. Because out of that, out of it, life has its issues. Everything else is watered or nourished or receives life. Guard your heart with the guard, for out of it are the issues of life. It's an allusion to the human heart. For if your heart stops beating, if your heart's not healthy, then everything else dies. The heart is capable of keeping you alive for a long, long time. The heart is a very important organ of your body. I think everybody knows that. In your body, there are 20 major arteries that branch off into smaller arterioles and then into capillaries. Those capillaries, you know, carry oxygen and nutrients to the cells of your body. And The capillaries are so small that those blood cells have to march single file when they're going to your cells of your body. And then bringing back you know, carbon dioxide and waste products through venules and veins back to the heart. If you were to lay all the vessels in your body end to end, there would be 60,000 miles of vessels in your body. You could wrap them around the earth more than twice. But it all starts with the heart. You know, if I want a healthy toe, a big toe at the extremity of my body, and I want to work on my toe, but I, it all starts, right? It all starts with a healthy heart. And if I want my heart to beat 100,000 times a day and 2.5 billion times over my lifetime, if I want that heart to pump 60 million gallons of blood through my body over my lifetime, then I've got to have a healthy heart. But spiritually, the analogy is what Solomon is driving at. As important as your human heart is to physical life, your inner world, your spiritual heart is even more important. So no matter how severe the pressures of life are, keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everybody say, my soul. 
first priority is to be saved at any cost. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? What is it profited if a man gained the whole world and lose his soul? So, first priority is to be saved. My second priority is my marriage. My second priority is my marriage is because I am married. Some of you are not, so it shouldn't be if you're not married. And I respect that, and I, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but I'm just talking about priorities, right? And this is a sacred covenant. The Bible teaches in Malachi 2 that the Lord witnesses the vows you make in marriage. Jesus said it is till death and that it should not be broken unless there is sexual infidelity. A bishop, that's me, an overseer, is to be the husband of one wife. God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman for life. Amen? Amen. That's why it should be the second priority. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They are to honor them as the weaker vessel and as heirs together of the grace of life. And if you don't, the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 3 that your prayers will be hindered. Some of you men wondering why your prayer life isn't doing too well? Go apologize to your wife. And wives, by the way, are to submit themselves to their own husbands as unto the Lord. Be subject to them in everything. May not be out of style, but it's not out of principle. That relationship is a sacred covenant. And I thank God that the Lord gave me a godly wife, a perfect counterpart, a counterbalance to me, a help me. And this coming, this July 28th, we'll celebrate 40 years. How about that? So I, God gave me an amazing wife and mother for our boys, an extension of my ministry, and my relationship with my wife is like that well is flowing out of the heart, your inner world, and kind of flows out of your marriage relationship if you're married. Uh, just remember this, Jesus was single. Paul was single, at least when he wrote scripture, and so it must be okay that God used people like that. So don't think that you're a second-class citizen. Some of the greatest people in the Bible didn't have a spouse. And Ezekiel lost his wife. What a story. So, that's what the Bible says, right? How many of you agree that if you're married, that that should be the second most important relationship of your life? Right? God first, marriage second. For me, third is our family and the relationship with our three sons, three daughters-in-law, Three grandchildren and one on the way who we have nicknamed Blip for now because he's just a blip on the screen a while back. But my relationship with Ryan, Kinsey, and Blip, I know I'm going to get in a lot of trouble and we're all going to enjoy it. Joel, Alanda, Lincoln, and Zara, Justin, Teresa, and Rhett. Boy, Thank God for a great Nana and that my kids can look at me as a Christian, I believe. And our marriage is not perfect, but solid, strong, and godly. And then they have a model for that. 
And I felt this in 1995, before 1995, but I said it here then. If I'm going to be a good Christian husband, father, I have to have time for that. So I may not always be instantly available. If it's an emergency, I'll try to be. In over 22 years, we've built an amazing team. God has built an amazing team here. I thank God for that, or I would probably be dead by now. So it doesn't all rest on my shoulders. The principle just works uh, of team ministry, and we're able to shoulder the load most of the time without it being too crushing. But spiritual leaders are to rule their own house well. So, wow, what if I didn't think it was important to live for God and have a good marriage and have a good family? But over time, and you, some of you know our boys really well. You watch them grow up. You know their failures and times they struggle. But here they are, and I think it's a miracle. It's really a credit to this church and their mom that they love God, but they also love the church. I know a lot of preachers' kids who think they love God, but they hate the church. And it's partly their parents' fault and partly the church's fault who mistreated those kids growing up. But we never put pressure on our boys to be perfect or it's a big example or to go into the ministry and be preachers. And I try to tell you, don't call them to preach. Let God do that if He wants to. But you know, after a while, you start saying, wow, not only is this principled, but it starts making sense if you try to press order into the disorder of your life. I'm a pretty transparent person. Does, does all this mean that all these years I've had all of this like in perfect order? Absolutely not. That's why I said in the beginning, you press order into the disorder of your life. When you're busy in ministry and you have three children, you know the stress on your marriage and time, certain seasons of the year busier than others, does my wife get as much time as she deserves as a wife? No. Thank God that she's a very patient, good, godly person. And sometimes she'll say, you know, Daryl, I don't think you should probably do that, go on that trip. And I say, yes, ma'am. I don't say yes, ma'am, but I say something like that. That's really what it means. We talked. We came to an agreement last night about particular thing. I said, I agree with you. Sent an email today. Nope, not going to do that. Because she loves me, by the way, more than any of y'all possibly could. She knows me better. And she spent 40 years of her life serving with me in ministry. And she wants to keep me around. And I think that's neat. I'm happy about that. I feel the same way about her. And for me... The fourth priority in my life is my ministry. So I know that, I know that most of you are not full-time vocational ministers. So maybe for you it's vocation. And I kind of wrestle with this even today. And I've taught on this through the years a lot to ministers. But I thought about this today. You know, is it your career? Is it your ministry? I mean, there, there are some incredible people in this church. But if they could afford it, they would quit their job and just volunteer for the church. They love this church that much. And, and there are people, but we have careers. And believe it, I, believe it or not, I've had a real job. I know what that's like. My dad had a real job all my life growing up. So I understand that your career is very, very important. So I'm just going to say that for me, it's ministry. And my calling came before my marriage. But when I chose to get married, then that relationship is important. And it doesn't mean that my marriage is against my ministry. It's a complement to my ministry. It doesn't mean that my family life competes with my ministry. It is my ministry. 
Because ministry is not the performance of an hour, someone said. It is the outflow of a life. We might fake it somewhere for a week or two, but you don't fake it for a whole lifetime. People are affected by what you say, but they're also affected by your spirit. And if your spirit's clean and pure and you keep it right with God, then that flows out of you as well. So, ministry. For me, it's a big deal. God first, marriage, family, ministry. And in this church, and I have told the Georgia District Board when I was first elected superintendent, they're asking me questions, and I said, I'll just tell you that the number one priority of my ministry is Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. It has been since they asked me to serve as pastor, it always will be as long as I'm pastor. God has always used me my whole life in doing more than one thing at one time. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. It is a sacred trust. But this church and my ministry comes before everything but God, Carol Johns, and my family. It just is. So, I believe that's the way it's supposed to be, and it should be. Now, for you, you have a career. And in your career, it is a priority. And, you know, when we did Christians at Work an entire month, so if you didn't get all that, go back to October, watch it all over again, thanks to Brother Jury and others who helped teach that series, that, you know, work is a big deal. You're going to spend a lot of time. I did a little keynote about how many hours commuting and working over a career of 25, 30 years. You're spending a lot of time at work. So be, make, watch your priorities about work and be your very best on the job. Make your time count. Do your best. Make money and be generous. Right? And if you can make more money and keep God first in your life and all your priorities in life straight, why would you not want to do better by more college or advancing yourself on your job? It is a part of your life. And even on the job, if you will live by priorities and not pressures, you will be more productive at work. These principles apply. Biblical principles apply to every area of life. But whether you're a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker, more than that, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're His ambassador. And you're a missionary to the workplace, right? And you need to have an identity away from work. So you're a missionary to the butcher shop, the bakery, and the candle factory. But one day probably you're going to retire. And when you do, and this is more important, they say, for men than women, too many men just totally see themselves as their work. And they can't, they don't have an identity apart from that. And when they retire from and not to something, they're depressed and feel like they've lost their value. We should have an identity that is above just the fact that we hold a job and make X amount of money per year and are so successful or whatever that success level is in our company. And then as I said earlier, we always press order into the disorder of our life. I asked you some questions last week about your life, about you know if you're reading books and you would decide what books and how many and when I'm going to read them and making time for that and being accountable. That was just my illustration. But you really do have to establish your priorities 
Your goals arise out of that. What is most important determines what goals you're going to set for your life. And you should start honoring God in every area of your life. And I have a list of things, but I'm just going to kind of skip past this to, to give an illustration that maybe you've heard, maybe not. I, I heard Brother Jerry Jones, and I think he preached it here. But you can Google it if you want to get it word for word. One day, uh, there was an expert on time management. And he was speaking to a group of business students. And at dry moment's point, uh, he said, okay, it's time for a quiz. And he got out a, a one-gallon wide-mouth mason jar. And he took several big rocks and he put them down inside the jar. And he asked the students, when it was kind of filled to the top, is this jar full? And the student said, yes. And then he said, really? And he reached under the desk and he pulled out a bucket of real fine gravel. And he started pouring it into the bucket and shaking it down as he went. When he got all the gravel where it looked like it was near the top, he said, is the jar full? And they were now getting a little skeptical. They're smart enough to not say yes, but they want to say yes. And he kind of smiled and he said, good, you realize that. And he, he reached down under the desk and pulled out some sand. He began to pour sand down into the jar and he shook it down in the cracks, the pebbles, and the, the bigger rocks that were there. And when he got to the top, he said, is this jar full? And they didn't want to say yes, because they knew he probably had a trick up his sleeve. So the time management expert then reached in under the table and pulled out water. And he poured water into that one gallon wide mouth jar until the water came to the brim. And then he said, is this jar full? And they said, yes. And he said, yes. And then he asked them the question, what is the lesson behind this? What's the moral behind this story? And one student that thought he was really bright raised his hand and he said, the lesson is that you can always cram a little bit more into your life. Isn't that how we live in America? You can always pour a little bit more. Just keep filling it up. And the professor said, now that is not the point at all. The point is that if you don't put the big rocks first, you will never fit them in. So I want to ask you tonight, what are the big rocks in your life? I know what mine are. And I know that I am challenged to press order into the disorder of my life and to fight to keep the big rocks in. And hey, guess what? If you never get the pea gravel in, if you never get the sand in, if you never get the water poured into your life, if there's a lot of stuff you miss to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to go to heaven because you lived in light of eternity, there's a lot of stuff you missed out on. It doesn't really matter. 
than if you put the big rocks first. Let's stay in. The worship team's coming. Would you just open your heart to the Lord right now? You may want to lift your hands to Him or just talk to Him. I want you to just ask the Lord to help you identify the big rocks in your life. We're talking tonight about priorities. So would you just talk to the Lord right now where you're standing about the big rocks of your life? Jesus, I love you. Love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I give you praise, O oh Lord, tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you can identify some of the stuff that's been poured into your life that it's really not important. Maybe it's quadrant one. It seems urgent. It's urgent. It's not really important. Maybe it's quadrant four. It's not important. And it's not urgent at all. God help us spend more of our lives in what Stephen Covey calls quadrant two. It's the things that really matter. We want to start our days and end our days knowing that we were continually leveraging our values, our priorities into our lives. We're saying no to things, but we're not saying no to big rocks. We're saying no to pea gravel and sand and water. Missing out on some things, losses in our lives, but acceptable losses. Amen.